Chapter 8 Birds and Beasts All things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. Each little flower that opens, each little bird that sings, he made their glowing colors, he made their tiny wings. He gave us eyes to see them, and lips that we might tell, how great is God Almighty, who has made all things well. Cecil Francis Alexander When God created the world, he set up the animals as man's particular zone of dominion. God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Genesis 1.26 Again God said to humanity, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 1.28 We notice what God did not say. He did not say, rule over the soil, the moon and planets, the grass, trees, and herbs. These seem to be taken for granted. If man rules over the highest aspect of creation, the things made at the end of the week, it stands to reason that he will rule over the lowest aspects in some sense. Part of man's peculiar domination of animals lies in the fact that only animals can be helpers to man. Pigs can help man hunt for truffles, and oxen can pull man's plows. Dogs can guard man's home, and cats can cleanse his house of vermin. This particularly close association of man and animals is seen in Genesis 2, where God uses the animals to teach Adam of his need for helpers. God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Genesis 2.18 God chose to bring the animals and birds before Adam for him to name or describe. These animals were indeed helpers, and Adam could see that, but they were not helpers fitted to him. Under the instigation of Satan, part of the animal kingdom rose up against human dominion. The serpent's seduction of Eve and Adam in Genesis 3 is the story that tells of this. After the fall of man, all animals have the potential of becoming man's enemy. Even the peaceful ox, if it rises up and gores a man, is counted an unclean animal. Exodus 21, 28-29 Thus, it would be necessary for the seed of the woman to exert dominion over the rebellious animals by crushing their head, their leader. Genesis 3.15 A marvelous picture of this is given in Daniel 7, where the Son of Man, the seed of the woman, takes dominion over the four beasts of the sea. The sea represents the Gentiles, and the four beasts represent the idolatrous nations of the world. The lion eagle is Babylon, the bear is Persia, the leopard is Alexander's Greece, and the nightmare beast is Rome. The Son of Man, however, takes dominion over them all, subduing Satan's beasts permanently. Just so, Mark tells us that Jesus was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts. Mark 1.13 With these remarks we have arrived at a discussion of the symbolism of animals, and so to that subject we must now turn. Animals as Symbols The Bible presumes an analogy between men and animals from the beginning. 
Animals image human life more closely than do any other of the other aspects of the creation. This is especially true of land animals, which were made on the same day as man. In Genesis 2, we find that God brought animals to Adam to name or describe. Adam gave names to them, and in the process noticed that all the animals came in sexual pairs. He might have reasoned from this that he was simply different from the animals in this regard. Instead, however, he rightly observed that if animals had mates, he should also. Genesis 2, 18-20. This reasoning could only take place in the basis of a perceived analogy. Let us now briefly overview the ways in which the Bible sets forth animals as imaging human life. Elijah Shawkat has provided a fine introduction to our present considerations, and his remarks are worth reprinting in full. Scripture depicts God with strikingly concrete imagery. He is described in varying contexts as a father, husband, judge, king, warrior, winnower, husbandman, smelter, builder, teacher, healer, harvester, giver of rain, leader of the blind, wayfarer, and stranger, as well as the shepherd of a flock. It is therefore not surprising to find God also portrayed with imagery drawn from the world of fauna. As an eagle that stirreth up her nest, hovereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her pinions. Deuteronomy 32.11 I bore you on eagles' wings. Exodus 19.4 He will cover thee with his pinions, and under his wings shalt thou take refuge. Psalm 91.4 God is also depicted as a lion, as a leopard, and as a bear lying in wait for its prey. Isaiah 31.4, Hosea 5.14, and 13.7, Lamentations 3.10. And the wrath of the Lord is compared to that of a she-bear bereaved of her cubs. Hosea 13.8, 2 Samuel 17.8, Isaiah 59.11. In Balaam's orations, God is to Israel like the lofty horns of the wild ox. Numbers 24.8, Now, clearly, God is not being compared to the animals themselves. It is rather the deeds of God that are described and compared to the deeds of specific animals in particular circumstances. Similarly, Israel is portrayed as being an unfaithful wife, a wild vine, God's servant, God's beloved, a bride, a vineyard, as well as, from the world of fauna, sheep, a wild ass, well-fed stallions, fatted cows of Bashan, a turtle dove, an untrained calf, and a worm. Micah 2.12, Jeremiah 2.24, and 5.8, Amos 4.1, Psalm 74.19, Jeremiah 31.18, and Isaiah 41.14. By means of such concrete imagery, the concept of God and His covenant with Israel was related to the life experiences of the Israelites, notably those embodied in the world of nature. God groups animals with men in certain special ways that indicate a closer analogy between men and animals than between men and any other aspect of the earthly creation. Both men and animals stand under the penalty of capital punishment for murder, Genesis 9.5. More specifically, as regards the cattle, both were to keep the Sabbath, Exodus 20.10, Deuteronomy 5.14. Both were under the blessing and curse of the covenant. Leviticus 26.22, and Deuteronomy 28.4. And the firstborn of both belong to God. Additionally, the entire logic of the sacrificial system depends upon analogy between men and animals. 
The Mosaic Revelation contains numerous laws concerning animals, such as that ox and ass are not to be yoked together, and that the ox is not to be muzzled while it treads. Commenting on such laws, Paul writes, God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written. 1 Corinthians 9, 9-10 In other words, all the animal laws are really concerned with human life, not muzzling the laboring ox, Deuteronomy 25, 4, in context, 25, 5-10, means that the lever, brother-in-law, is entitled to benefit from the property of the child he rears for his deceased brother, during the years of the child's minority. Paul applies this to pastors who care for the church while Christ is in heaven, 1 Corinthians 9, 10, 1 Timothy 5, 18. In fact, if we press Paul's language, these laws did not concern animals at all, but were altogether concerned with human beings. Does this mean that the Jews never needed to keep these laws as they pertain to animals, but only as they pertain to people? Or does Paul's for our sake refer to the New Covenant believers and mean that while the Jews were to keep the letter, Christians only need to be concerned with the human dimension? Or is Paul's altogether for our sake only a hyperbole of comparison? It is hard to know. One thing is clear. The primary focus of the animal laws in the Mosaic Revelation is the symbolic and human dimension. According to Paul, God is not particularly concerned with whether or not we yoke oxen with asses, but he is concerned with whether or not Christians marry unbelievers. Not all animals symbolize the same thing about God and man. The scriptures help us in seeing the precise ways in which certain animals image the life of man, both positively and negatively. This is particularly in evidence in poetry and proverbs. Poetic allusions often emphasize the close similarities between humans and animals. When Jacob blesses his son, he compares Judah to a lion's whelp, Issachar to a large-boned ass, Dan to a serpent in the path, Naphtali to a hind let loose, and Benjamin to a wolf that raveneth. Balaam's orations compare Israel to a people that riseth up as a lioness, and as a lion does he raise himself up. And David, in his moving eulogy, laments Saul and Jonathan as being swifter than eagles and stronger than lions. Shimei, son of Gerah, who curses David, is deemed a dead dog, and Hazael modestly refers to himself as a dog, one clearly unworthy of greatness. Genesis 49, 9-27, Numbers 23-24, 24-9, and 2 Samuel 1, 23, 16.9, and 2 Kings 8.13. There is little need to expand on this point. However, since the book of Proverbs is familiar to all readers, it is well known that the Bible draws comparisons between human beings and animals, and in particular regards. There is one special way in which some animals represent human beings, and that was in the sacrificial system. Only five animals were eligible for sacrifice in Israel. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the dove, and the pigeon. There were other animals that were clean and might be eaten, such as deer, gazelle, and chicken, but only these five might be sacrificed. Genesis 15.9 and contrast Genesis 8.20, Leviticus 4.1-5.10, and Deuteronomy 14.4-5. Animals found their way into the imagery of the temple, though not of the tabernacle. 
Twelve bronze bulls symbolizing Israel supported the bronze sea in the temple courtyard, 1 Kings 7.25. And lions and oxen were engraved on the ten bronze water chariots, 1 Kings 7.29. The choice of lions and oxen arises from the fact that they are the two animal faces of the cherubim, Ezekiel 1.10 and 41.18-19. The Categories of the Animal World Genesis 1 provides us with six categories of animals. In terms of the wider world, there are the winged fowl, the great monsters of land and sea, and the fish of the sea. In terms of the land, there are the wild animals, the creeping things, and the domestic animals, cattle. The great monsters are occasionally mentioned in the Bible, some of them by name, Leviathan, Rahab, Behemoth, Job 26, 12-13, 40, 15-24, 41, verses 1-34, and Psalm 91:13 and 148:7. From what the Bible says about them, these are evidently what we today call dinosaurs. Birds are associated with the heavens above. Thus, they are frequently symbols of spirits, clean or unclean. The dove can symbolize the Spirit of God, who hovered over the creation in Genesis 1, and over our Lord at his baptism, Matthew 3.16. The doves flying over the waters of the flood while it recedes is an image of a new creation, Genesis 8.8-12. 8, 8 Unclean birds can thus be associated with the demonic realm, Revelation 8.2, Isaiah 34.8-15. Fish are associated with the waters under the earth. In biblical imagery, the seas are generally the world of the Gentiles, Israel is a people of the land, and throughout the Old Testament, the important people of God were farmers and herdsmen, not fishermen. Jonah traveled by sea to get to Gentile Nineveh, and Gentile Tyre is pictured as a vast ship of state sailing on the seas, Ezekiel 27:25-36. In the New Covenant, however, all is changed. The apostles were largely fishermen. Jesus fed the crowds with fish. Paul carried the gospel abroad over water. All this indicates a shift from land to sea, from Israel to the nations. Domestic animals are those that live with men, and thus are somewhat dependent on man for life. They are man's closest helpers, and most closely image the life of man. Cats and dogs and sheep and cattle and horses are much more human than are armadillos, possums, and bears. Such domestic animals come to represent Israel, God's domestic people. Wild animals are those that live by themselves, without man's help. Such wild animals often represent Gentiles, especially converted and ennobled Gentiles, who may not live in Israel, but who are still admirable. Finally, the creeping things are those that live in the dirt. After the ground was cursed, these came to be associated with the serpent and with evil men. Genesis 3:14, 15 and 17. Clean and unclean animals. What was it that made some animals clean and others unclean during the old covenant? Some have suggested that it was the food value of their meat, but this cannot be so. The distinction between clean and unclean was known before the flood, when men apparently did not yet eat meat. After the flood, God gave Noah permission to eat the flesh of all animals without restriction as to kind, Genesis 9, 3-4. It was only with the Mosaic Covenant that the unclean animals were declared inedible. 
The distinction between clean and unclean animals then must be symbolic. Here again we must be careful. It was not the overall lifestyle of these animals that made them clean or unclean. The Bible has many fine things to say about the eagles. As would be expected, the eagle's regal appearance and superior power are frequently emphasized. The Bible describes the impressive sweep of its wings in flight, its awesome speed, and its characteristic manner of swooping down to attack its victims. Indeed, one of the faces of the cherubim is that of an eagle. Yet, the eagle is an unclean animal. The same is true of the lion. Indeed, Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yet the lion is unclean. The eagle and the lion are every bit as unclean as dogs and pigs, concerning both of which Scripture has nothing good to say. And, unclean though the serpent is, it is used on one occasion to describe the tribe of Dan in a flattering metaphor. The clean goat is every bit as disgusting in its habits as the unclean pig. What this means is that we have to be extremely precise in determining exactly what made clean animals clean and unclean animals unclean. It is not their general habits. It is not information from poetry, prophecy, or proverbs. It is rather the precise details given in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. The lion was unclean, resembling the Satan-possessed nations in only one respect. He does not have split hooves and does not chew the cud. Apart from this consideration, he is a fine and noble beast. In fact, the primary feature of clean animals is their feet, in one sense or another. To understand this, we must bear in mind that the ground was cursed under the Old Covenant, Genesis 3.17. Men normally wore shoes, and it was ceremonially important to wash the cursed soil off one's feet before entering a house, Genesis 18.4, Judges 19.21, Luke 7.44, John 13.3-15. Holy ground, where the curse was removed, required men to go barefoot. Exodus 35, Joshua 5.15. Bear in mind that animals are symbols of men. We find that clean land animals wear shoes, while unclean land animals do not. Clean land animals also chew the cud, traditionally regarded as an image of meditating on God's word. In other words, Psalm 1.2 119.103 and Jeremiah 15.16. To be clean, an animal must both chew cud and wear proper shoes, hooves that are split, perhaps so that the animal can distinguish between the things with which he comes in contact, and so that he can travel on high places. The Holy Mountain, Leviticus 11.2-8 and 27, Psalm 18.33. Fish must also be shod. In their case, it means having scales. Scales are like armor that keeps the fish from contact with his environment. See 1 Samuel 17.5. The clean fish must also have fins, enabling him to make purposeful movement through the water. The man of God, symbolized by the clean fish, does not drift with the tide. Leviticus 11.9-12. Clean birds are those that are careful and particular about where they land, where they put their feet. Genesis 8.9. Unclean birds will land on anything, especially on rotting carcasses. Leviticus 11.13-23 Finally, animals that swarm around in the dust and that invade homes are unclean. They attack the woman's domestic environment, spreading death to her kitchen utensils. The woman is at enmity with them. Genesis 3.15 Leviticus 11.29-38 All unclean animals resemble the serpent in the garden. 
They are boundary transgressors who break into the domestic garden and bring death. They crawl in the dust. They eat dust. In these ways they image the life of the serpent, but in only these ways. The unclean lion, as we have seen, is also a noble and mighty beast. In the New Covenant, of course, this distinction is removed. Mark 7.19, Acts 10-11 Christ has cleansed the world, once and for all. We can go barefoot in the dirt, and wear shoes to church. We can eat the flesh of any animal we desire. We don't need to break kitchen utensils when we find a dead lizard or mouse lying on them. Leviticus 11.32-35 Conclusion As we look at the world through new eyes, we must be careful not to bring the clean-unclean distinction into play, since we now live in the new covenant. All the same, the meaning of that distinction is still relevant. We need to be careful to walk in the ways of righteousness and meditate on God's word. We need to avoid the environment of the serpent. In other regards, however, the Bible enjoins us to observe the animal world carefully, for God created it as a living parable of human life. By studying the ways of the animals, we come to understand more and more what it means to be true human beings, images of God in His world.